Today's reading is Luke 3, 1 through 20. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Sophias, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill may low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't exhort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest students are dismissed, and the rest of us may be seated. Hello, Grace. My name's Daniel Long. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, hi, Oppie. Uh, just to clarify real quick, um, in case it got lost in translation, uh, the menu is brats and dogs. So if you thought like brats and dogs, that's kind of weird. Um, it's actually brats. You know, there's a, there's a staff joke that we always have with the different ways that we use language, that is one of those ways. So um, I just was like, I can't wait to bring that up. Um, it has nothing to do with my sermon, which is great. So I'm, I'm grateful to be with all of you and to look at uh, Luke chapter 3. So if you want, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 3. 
We are in a series in the Gospel of Luke, which we started many weeks back, and we are going to keep going because we're going to go through this book together, looking at the different um, ways that Luke is, is wanting to talk about Jesus. And this morning, we're actually going to sort of take a right turn a little bit, and we're going to look at the, um, John the Baptist, the person who is uh, coming on the scene before Jesus to prepare the way of the Lord. Now, before we start, I'd like to pray because this is an opportunity to hear from God, um, not from me, but to hear from the one who wants to meet all of us uh, in, in, through his word, but also through the presence of his spirit um, and speak to us very directly and specifically. So would you pray with me um, toward that end? God, you are the one who does speak. You are faithful to speak. You're faithful to be present. You're faithful to be near to us. You move toward us, even in spite of all of the ways that we might shield ourselves from you or turn away from you. God, you are relentless in your pursuit. Thank you. Thank you that you love us that much to move toward us and to speak. But God, I confess, often it is hard for me to hear or it is hard for me to listen and there's so many different ways I might resist what you're saying. God, I pray that you would even move in spite of all of that so that we as a community might hear the fresh word that you have and transform our hearts and renew our minds so that we might grow more into your likeness. That is why we are here, God. That is why you've called us by your son, Jesus, to be connected to this community. So help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a real quick thought experiment, if you were to list, like on paper somewhere, like all of the people or the things or the structures in our society, in our society who hold the most power, what would you list? What would come to mind? All of the different things as you think about how our world operates, what would you say are the symbols or structures or places with the most power? I'm just going to give you a second or a couple seconds to think about that. What would that list include? Maybe you'd put down like governmental leaders, political parties, the rich and famous, like the tech industry, various lobbying organizations. These are these structures of power that hold so much in our world, in terms of how our world operates. These might be included on your list. But then if I said, you, if you had to pick one of those structures or symbols of power on that list that you think would affect the most change, positive or negative, what would it be? So you have one list which is listing all of the potential political or, I mean, powerful, <laughs> Freudian slip, all of the powerful um, figures or structures in our society. That's one list. Then the other list is you'd pick one from that list that says, I think if I was going to have something affect the most change positively or negatively, it would be this. What in your mind would that be? I'm so curious what it would be. Does somebody, anybody want to just throw one out? Amazon, I like it. That's good. Other ones? Family. Family. Graham? I see you. You had your hand raised. 
friends, all right? Medical. Medical. Apple. Amazon. The president. All these other places in our, in our world that would hold the most power. Now, I bring that up, not just randomly, because that is honestly where Luke begins this chapter in doing the exact same thing. So I'm going to read that for a minute. First, Luke chapter 3. Some of you has one of the pew Bibles and you know the uh, page number, throw it out. 858, thank you. So in the 50th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene during the high priesthood of Ananias and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, it's not just like Luke likes these names and he thought it'd be cool to sort of situate this historically, though he is doing that. What he's actually doing is letting the reader in on the structures of power that hold the most weight in this society when the word of the Lord comes to John. And he does it in reverse order, from the person who has the most power to the person who has the least power. He goes from Caesar all the way down to the priest to say, look, this is the world in which God himself will come. The word of God will come. You think all of this is important, but hold on. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So you think this is how the world operates. And where you're not looking, something entirely new and fresh is taking place. The word of the Lord comes to to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So I want to talk about this word of the Lord this morning in three different ways. That it's a reordering word a reordering word, that it's also a word that is demanding and it is also a word that is good. So a reordering word, a demanding word, and a good, good word. This is the word of the Lord that Luke is wanting to have infiltrate this world that he sets up in these first few verses. Because the people who are reading this or are listening to this know how the world works. You know how the wor- our world works in terms of its structures and symbols of power and in terms of the things that are going to affect change. But then over here. Now it's as if I was to say to you, if we were to use that thought experiment, like you know, you know, yes, Amazon, Apple, like political figures, they have all of this power. Let me list and name them all to you. But then the word of the Lord comes in Wilmore, Kentucky. And you think, why? What is that about? Why Kentucky? It's not like I I hate on Kentucky. Kentucky seems like a great state. But if you know, if if that place is in your mind, then it's probably because you've heard of a seminary called Asbury Theological Seminary. Now, if you've heard of that seminary, then chances are you've heard of what's being called a revival taking place, not in California, not in Washington, D.C., not in New York City, but in this small, small town in Kentucky at this Methodist university called Asbury 
Theological Seminary. If you can turn, go take, to that, take us to that picture, Dave. So this is a picture of, of what this revival looked like. So on February 8th, regular chapel service. Maybe you know the story. Somebody speaks. There's worship. And then people start to leave, except for a few. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, the president of the seminary sends this email, two sentences, that says, there's worship happening in Hughes Auditorium. You're welcome to join. And then this keeps going until February 24th, day and night of worship and of prayer and of people not leaving. And over those many days, 50,000 to 70,000 people all across the nation go to Wilmore, Kentucky to see what's actually happening and going on. To see what is God up to in this random place in this random seminary. Now, I don't want to talk about necessarily all the dynamics of revival because I think it's complex, and I think what we see here is a manifestation of what's been probably going on for years, like all of the quiet prayers and tears and work behind the scenes that lead to this moment in the month of February in 2023. But what I, why I do bring it up is because if you were to pick all the places of what God would want to do in a fresh way in the United States, I guarantee Wilmore, Kentucky would not be at the top of your list. And if you think about the church all across the world, it turns out that the church is actually really growing, despite how we might feel here. But it's growing in places like the global south. Again, not in the center of the world, but in almost these decentered places on the edges, on the fringes. What does that tell us about how God works? Well, if we read Luke, we know this is how God has always worked. Not just through this, this word coming into the wilderness in the midst of all of these power structures, but also coming to, to a man named Abraham, this small nomadic person who then becomes the father of this nation named Israel. This small group of people, this small nation, that somehow God continues to work out his story and then moves us into this new story that we see in the Gospels where these babies are born and the Messiah or the Deliverer is somehow coming and then we see this strange man in the wilderness and the fresh word of the Lord comes to him. Not to Caesar. Not to Herod, the Jewish ruler. Not to the high priests. Not to the LPT. Not to Daniel. Not to the elders. Not to these great Christian figures. But this kindergartner over in the education wing. Or this person you haven't yet heard of. This fresh word of the Lord. So what we're tuned in here and what Luke wants us to see is that yes, God is doing something new. 
and it completely reorders everything you thought you knew about how the world works. It completely reorders everything you thought you knew about power and how to affect change. I've been taught that if we want to affect change, what we need to do is we need to like blow this place out. Honestly, like we, we need to like get Long Beach, everyone converted immediately. That's how we're going to show the world that God is up to something. No, God is up to something in the corners of the world, in places we can't know, in the wilderness of our own hearts, in spaces that we aren't even yet aware of. God is God who speaks and works, and his word will always come. I cannot manufacture it. You cannot manufacture it. You cannot decide where it's going to happen. The good news is God is the one who does the good news is, is that fresh, the fresh word of the Lord will come, and it will come in the places where you are not even looking, where I am not even looking. That is good news, and that is what happens here with John the Baptist. And so what this word does when it comes to John, it reorders everything. It reorders the entire structures of what's important, of what matters, and what's powerful. And so this is why John, in these first few verses, also, or why Luke, through the mouth of John, brings up the, the prophet Isaiah. Verse 4. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. So John's going all around. It says, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. This is a reference to Isaiah chapter 40. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now this, this, this bringing in these words from the prophet of Isaiah is a reminder at this time to the people who've been waiting for this deliverer, that something new is coming. That a new voice is coming. That the word of the Lord has come. Now Isaiah was a prophet during this time of exile, during this time of long wilderness years for the people of Israel. Of both, that included both judgment, despair, but also a new word of hope that something can be again. That the, your current circumstance isn't the circumstance that will define you forever. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This fresh word spoken to a people who needed so deeply to hope again. This is the word of the Lord that came to John in the wilderness, and this is the word of the Lord that John is going to embody. And it's the word that ultimately challenges all of the loyalties in our lives. Because it chances are we live in reference to what we think holds power and gives us meaning. And so we have, our lives are made up of all these little loyalties to these things that we think matter and carry significance over and above God. And so this fresh word is saying, what loyalties in your life and in my life and in our life need to be challenged? What loyalties in your life 
and in our lives together need to be challenged. Where do you think the most power resides? If not the word of the Lord, because that right there is what needs to be challenged. So this word of the Lord is a reordering word, but it's also a demanding word. Verse seven, John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized, you brood of vipers, you son of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, teacher, what then should we do? And he said, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked, what should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. So because this word comes into the wilderness and it's upending all of these power structures of the day and reorders everything and centers it around the person of Jesus or this word of God that's coming, it also demands a response. And this demanding word as, seen, as we see in John is a word that then is to be uh, responded to in baptism, which then produces forgiveness of sins, which then produces good fruit, fruit of repentance. And so this word, though it reorders everything, it's because of that reordering, it demands that we respond to it. And so this, this practice of baptism, which we are actually going to see on Easter, is, there, is this practice of saying no to all of the ways that we thought gave our life meaning before to the word that God has spoken to us in the person of Jesus as the one to center our life around. Saying no to all of our loyalties, all the different ways that we have shown allegiance, not to God, but to other things in order that we might align ourselves with what God is up to in the world, might show allegiance to God and to God only. And so that's why baptism and what John is, is wanting to have the people do is a significant act and a very subversive one. It wasn't just that people were being submerged, that is it, but it's in that submersion, they're actually going to be leaving completely differently. All of a sudden, the power structures they think hold the most sway in the world, they know from this point on that is not true, which means they need to reorder their life around what is actually true, is that the word of the Lord has come and it will continue to come in the person of Jesus. But it demands, it demands something of these people. It demands this response of obedience. It demands this response of saying no to the life they had and yes to the life that's centered around this fresh word of Jesus. And we see these harsh words of, of, of judgment these words of fire, these words of, of a fork coming to, to, to chop off at the threshing floor and throwing that which is left over in the fire or th this idea that, that God can, can in some ways get rid of what has come before in these ancestors and people and, and rise up new people. It's because what John is wanting to say is this requires urgency. 
what is happening is happening now. There is no time to waste. Caesar is not God. Caesar doesn't have the word. The word of the Lord has come again, and it has come in a fresh way, and it will come in Jesus, and that is the Lord. The time is now. And if you and if we are not going to align ourselves with the good new purposes of God, then John does not mince words in terms of what the, the response will be. This judgment upon our stories, upon people, upon this, this parting the ways in terms of those who align themselves with God and those who align themselves with Caesar or with the religious authorities. But then these people say, well, then what should we do? I mean, they're being baptized, but then they have this question that we should all be asking. What then should we do? The crowds ask this, the tax collectors ask this, and the soldiers ask this. And notice what John says to them. I'm going to reread again. Verse 10. What then should we do? This is what the crowds ask. He said, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Tax collectors ask the same thing after being baptized. What should we do? Collect no more than the amount prescribed. Soldiers, what should we do? And he said, don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. Now, maybe it doesn't land with us because we're so distant from this context, but John is actually suggesting not that they completely rearrange their entire lives, if you notice that, He doesn't say to tax collectors, stop being a tax collector. He doesn't say to soldiers, stop being a soldier. He says how they actually live within those structures to do it differently. Even the crowds, something as mundane as what should we do, he says, well, if you have two coats, just share one of them. If you have extra food, share that too. I mean, that, like, if we think about our own lives, sometimes we think, what does it look like in terms of when we are wanting to, to be people who are open to the Spirit of God doing new and fresh things? We think, I need, how do I change my life so radically? It needs to change completely from the inside out. Yes, that's true, but it often doesn't begin with this massive upending. It's often very small. You have two coats? You have a lot of things? Think about sharing it. You have extra food? Think about sharing it. Or people in business, I, I'm, I, want it. I want to my life to completely reflect the person of Jesus. Well, what's one thing in your work you might do that would better align yourself with what God is up to? The tax collectors, you know, just don't, just don't cheat. Just be honest. Or the soldiers, just don't threaten isn't that fascinating? Honestly, it's, I, here I am reading scripture and I, it's, it's something I've learned this week of like, wow, I often, from whatever I bring to the text, have thought, tax collector, terrible job. You know, you're, you're working for the government in, in this context, terrible. But John is very, very practical and very, very mundane in terms of what repentance looks like for these people who are wanting to know what to do. Shift one thing. We were talking about this in our preaching um, group that we have when we talk about what we're talking about in our text. And Brandon, uh, Roa mentioned this idea that he learned from a professor in seminary that theology and learning theology is often like rearranging the furniture. 
These are just random things. I, I honestly typed in interior design and looked up Google images and this came up. I thought this is perfect. But all the things you could imagine, like all these things that say coffee table or couch could, could be, you know, different habits or, or, or different, different luxuries that we might have. But what Brandon was saying, this professor said about theology is that often when you kind of rearrange one piece of your theology, over time you realize the rest doesn't fit. And so then you kind of rearrange one other thing. And then over time you think, oh, okay, those two things seem to fit, but then this other part needs to be adjusted. Now, I don't think that's just a great example of theology. I think that's a great example of repentance and the work of spiritual formation as the Spirit works in our lives. And this is what I mean. If you think about sort of the mirror in a house, or maybe your best, your favorite piece of furniture. It's probably not a mirror, but it's maybe like a couch or a coffee table or something. And you think, oh man, I want to build my room. Amanda Gagne is like, you are speaking my language right now. Hey, you, want to, you want to build this, this room around this one piece of furniture. And so you set it up and you think, how does everything else need to be adjusted? And you do it, and then you sort of live in it. And then you think, you know what? I actually think that chair would go better here. So you do that, then you look and you're like, oh, well, that piece of art now on the table needs, it's not quite centered or on the, on the wall, so I need to recenter that. And that is what repentance is like. All of a sudden, when the Spirit of God gets a hold of our life, when the fresh Word of God comes, comes to us into these moments in our spaces or maybe through a friend, and it says, you know, readjust this. Maybe this habit needs to shift. Maybe you've, you, you've just learned this habit is just about you. It's just about satisfying your own desires. And maybe Lent, the Lenten season has been an opportunity to see this. For me it has, at least. You maybe move one habit, and then all of a sudden you start to see the other places in your life that need to adjust. And then over time, there's been a quiet, patient reordering of our hearts and affections. And then over time, by God's grace and his spirit, like a quiet revolution in our souls. But it begins with a moment. And perhaps one thing that the spirit of God has asked you, have you considered adjusting just that part of your, of your heart? Have you considered moving just that part of your schedule? Have you considered just changing that habit a bit so that's a little bit more self-sacrificial rather than just self-satisfying? Not a complete upending of your life, but small incremental adjustments that over time the Spirit has used to completely transform your heart. And that's what John is suggesting, this demanding word and this response makes possible. And these people, what then should we do? You know, don't leave your job. Just consider doing your job this way. Don't go buy extra things to give to people. Just consider giving what you already have and the extra of what you already have to somebody who has nothing. I mean, small, 
incremental adjustments over time. And what I can't help imagining is that perhaps over time, a tax collector does that enough, and then they realize this job is completely incongruent with what it looks like to follow Jesus. But it's only because they've adjusted their life so much that they see that there is just no way they can keep being a tax collector and following Jesus. But that's not where it starts. It starts small. The demand might seem minuscule, but it is life transformational, that beginning. And so where is God calling you to rearrange the furniture of your life? What are you being challenged to rearrange as this demanding word comes to us through John? It says, repent, be baptized, experience forgiveness. And isn't that what grace and forgiveness is? Is this rearrangement of our souls, of our hearts, with the one who forgives. And again, it might take a lifetime, but it begins now. The time is now. And so finally, I'd like to end with this word being a good, good word. Now Luke, he ends this chapter, or this passage, with, with verse 18, it says, so, so everything that's come before, he's like, so, with many other exhortations, John, Proclaim the good news to the people. But Herod, the ruler who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all by shutting up John in prison. And so Luke makes, makes sure that we don't miss everything that's been said is good news. That the word of the Lord coming to John in the wilderness is good news because it reorders everything we thought we knew. It's good news because it demands a response from us in light of that reordering. To return, that's what repent means, to return and to turn to God. To recognize that our lives are not made up, at least in our faithfulness to God, by our lineage or by what's come before us, but really by aligning ourselves with the God who is broken in. Are we aligned? And that's good news. But it's also good news because this is only just the beginning. It's only just the beginning. I'm gonna read verses 15 through 17. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And again, this image of urgency and judgment. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The good news is that this is just the beginning. The good news, in fact, is that John is not the Messiah, but that he is coming. And he is so worthy that John himself is not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. Why is that good, for, good news for us? It's a good, good word because we are called to be John, to embody this fresh word that God is doing, all the while knowing we are not, in fact, the Savior. We are not the one who can bring a fresh word. 
We can point to it. Our words can embody it. We can prepare the way. But you and I are not the Messiah. Our lives, because of this reordering, because of responding to this demand, become the way by which the world sees the Jesus who will come again, the Jesus who has come and is present in the Spirit, and the Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Deliverer, who forgives, who shows grace, who judges our lives and sifts through it to show us what needs to be reformed and refined and changed. I mean, that's the good news. In a way, John is like, or should be, like the pastor preaching, saying, don't listen to me as if I am the one who has it. I am simply attempting to be a voice pointing to the one who has what you need. And you have that call too. To live a life so in line with what God has that you point the way and prepare the way for the Lord, for the one called Christ, who has given up his entire self for all of creation. That is what we are called to be, that is what we are called to do, and that is why it's a good, good word. It is good news that the, wor- that the world is reordered around this fresh word of God. It is good news that, the, that this word demands something from us. And it's good, good news that there is a word at all. Like we need to be people who are waiting and looking and expecting for that fresh word to come in the wilderness of your own heart, in the wilderness of our own cities, in the wilderness of our own churches, believing that the God can break in to a world that seems closed off to him. But it's not. Because the word of the Lord came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness when nobody was looking. And here we are, a community, a people, called to wait and to look and to watch and to believe that the God who did that then is the God who is still doing that now. That the Jesus who came then is the Jesus that is still coming now into your life, into my life, into our life together, and who will come. I mean, that is the good news that we have. That is the story that we live in. That is the word that we believe in and speak and embody. Thanks be to God for that word. So I'd like to send you, not send you, I'm not going to send you anywhere. I'd like, I'd like for you to consider a couple of things. One are some questions to think about. You might think about in, in your own life this week, talk about, discuss, and it's ones I've already asked, what loyalties in your life are being confronted? What are you being challenged to rearrange? And then where do you need to trust the good news of God? Those are questions for you to consider and to reflect on, to pray through. But also, even more important than questions are this, is this table, this place, where we see 
like the body and blood of Jesus reordering everything we thought we knew about how the world works. A world that's bent on grasping and climbing. The table says, no, this is a world of receiving. Of receiving from the abundance and the goodness of God. So as you come forward, the world is being reordered and the response it's demanding is open hands and trust that Jesus himself is life. And so consider that in our practice of communion. So in a few moments, you're going to be released. You're going to come forward. You're going to receive bread. You're going to receive a cup. There's both grape juice and there is wine. And you're going to take it back to your seat and then... um, Amy's going to come up and is going to lead us in the partaking. But in those moments when you're walking forward, when you're receiving, and when you're holding on to those elements, consider the power of your life, of our world being reordered, and the demand put upon us to be people who receive. So would you please stand? And I'd love to invite the servers forward to start releasing us by rows.